Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. So grateful for all of those who are sharing out this podcast and are writing reviews in the podcast apps and are enjoying what we're sharing out here. I'm so excited to be with you today to continue our seven laws series. These seven laws are delineated in my book, The Mission Driven Life. They are the seven laws of life mission and I explain how you can live them. In that book, there's still time to go get uh, a copy of it for free at themissiondrivenmom.com. So go grab your copy and you can read the sections and follow along with me to better understand what I'll be talking about today. Law one is to love God. And we've had two previous podcasts on principles one and two. And today we're going to talk about principle three, be willing to obey God and his laws. Now, this begins with the word willing, and I was just curious, so I ran over to the 1828 dictionary, and I'm going to read you the definition because it was just crazy how it so fit into what we're going to talk about. The faculty of the mind by which we determine either to do or forbear an action. The faculty which is exercised in deciding among two or more objects which we shall embrace or purpose. The will is directed or influenced by the judgment. The understanding or reasons or reason compares different objects which operate as motives. The judgment determines which is preferable and the will decides which to pursue. This is especially cool if you were at our Mothers of Discernment event last year, and you can hear these words of decision and judgment and, and, and how we delineated those and talked about how we must judge as moral beings and what it means to do those things. And the good news is those uh, recordings are finally being edited and they will be available soon for purchase. So if you weren't there or you want to review what was taught, you can totally uh, come grab those. I'll let you know when they're ready. And this year we will, we will be recording them again and we'll make them available sooner. And the good news is you can also add them to your ticket when you sign up for the event and uh, we'll have the signups for the event available soon as well. So anyway, that's just a little side note because when I think about judgment, I think about that event now. And judgment is tied up in our will and we can't be willing to do anything unless we exercise our will. So it goes on. In other words, we reason with respect to the value or, or importance of things. We then judge which is to be preferred and we will to take the most valuable. Okay, that is really fascinating because it seems like a really simple thing to be willing but it's actually a little bit of a complicated thing. And, you know, over the years in my researches and studies, one of the things that's become uh, very interesting to me and, and, and has continued to come up is this idea of the will. And in fact, 
it's a it's a theme that many great book authors talk about. And at the Mission Driven Mom, we start with the assumption that we do have a will. We say, yes, we have free will. We are free thinking beings that can make our own choices, but not all people actually believe this. It made me think of, there's a book called The Freedom of the Will. It was written by Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. And he his writings were the source of the great awakening which took place in about the mid 1700s which led to kind of a spiritual purifying process that Americans went through uh, before we declared independence which is really quite fascinating and he was kind of answering some of the modern ideas that were starting to come out through the enlightenment and things that we're talking about like predeterminism. Um, Frederick Nietzsche on the, on the other hand who unfortunately, is one of the most read uh, philosophers on college campuses. (laughs) Posthumously was published his book, The Will to Power, which he had always intended to write and he had extensive notes on, making the case that we as humans just want power. That's what we use our will to do is to get power. And, um, And then you've got, moving forward in history, people like Stephen Hawking, who are staunch atheists. And um, this is something that he said in his, um, in one of his book, The The Grand Design. Though we feel that we can choose what we do, our understanding of the molecular basis of biology shows that biological processes are governed by the laws of physics and chemistry and therefore are as determined as the orbits of the planets. Recent experiments in neuroscience support the view that it is our physical brain following the known laws of science that determines our actions and not some agency that exists outside those laws. It is hard to imagine how free will can operate if our behavior is determined by physical law, so it seems that we are no more than biological machines and that free will is just an illusion." fascinating, huh? Um, Lots of people don't know some of the core beliefs that Stephen Hawking held. And although I know he was a very brilliant man, he's saying we don't have free will. So here at the Mission Driven Mom, we begin with belief in a supreme being, a God, a heavenly father, a loving, all-knowing, all-powerful being who desires goodness for us, who is goodness himself, and who we can follow and obey uh, using our free will because he has granted us free will. And those are assumptions that aren't always obvious to people because not all people in today's world believe that. Now, to be willing to obey God, which is principle three of loving God, if we're really going to love him, We've got to know him and we've got to learn of him, which we talked about in previous podcasts and is talked about in the book. But we don't have to be able. Isn't that interesting? Being willing means that we use our reason to make judgments and we act on what we determine is the best judgment. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we know exactly what we're supposed to do or that we even have the capacity at first to do it. It just means we're willing to do it. So 
this means, this is great news for us because it means we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know all the answers and we don't even have to feel like we even really always know what God wants us to do. We just have to say we're willing. If we know what we're supposed to do, we're willing to give it a good go. We're willing to try it. We're willing to ask for help. That's all God's asking for. We get so caught up in, you know, we've got to be perfect and we've got to do it all exactly right. No, 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 no. He knows how imperfect we are. He knows that we're so (laughs) kind of small and um, weak. He just wants us to be willing. And that begins with an understanding that we do have free will, that we can control our lives. One of the things that we talk about in the MDM Academy is this important proportionate relationship between responsibility and personal power. And that they're kind of two the two ends of the same stick, that the more responsibility we take, the greater power we have. And so if we really own the fact that we can change and we can obey God, he's going to help us obey him. If we will just be willing to begin the process, just to get on the road, just to start, just to be in action, then he'll have something to work with. He can point us in a direction if we're moving. Now, an older way of talking about this. So we want to obey God, right? We want to be willing to obey. So the second part of this is obeying. That means simply that we are complying with a known law. And the way the 1828 dictionary uh, talks about it is a known law or rule of duty. This is interesting because older thinkers, if you go back 150 years, especially if you go back to like to American founding and before, you're going to read the word duty. Well, even in the 1800s a lot, you're going to read the word duty a lot. Uh, People were expected to know their duty and to fulfill their duty. Now, this idea comes from our innate sense of justice. Uh, We all have, are born with, don't even need to be taught this idea that things should be fair and things should be just. It's just born in us. We know that there's such a thing as justice, and we know that we have the right to, that by virtue of justice, we have rights, and we have the right to defend our rights, that justice gives us all those rights. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is that your rights become my duty. So, uh, and this is something else, actually, ironically, that we talked about at last year's event, Uh, Another reason, if you don't have those recordings, why you might want to get them when they're available, because we talk about rights and duties and applying those in our homes and how to go about doing that in terms of being better discerners and using these concepts to help us discern. So that was really fascinating, good stuff. Um, So we've got to obey, and that means that we use our reason to make moral judgments, and then we act, we use our will to take action on those things that are our duty to do. And we know a lot of things that are our duty because we have this innate sense of justice and because we have a conscience. So even if we're not taught well, or even sometimes if we're in an environment that tries to distort the truth or teach these things the wrong way, I mean, you find all throughout history, people coming from all kinds of civilizations and upbringings that run that end up running totally contrary to what you know they were taught or whatever because they listen to this innate 
sense of justice to these first principles that are written on our hearts by the finger of God, like Thomas Reed said. So that means that because of this justice that is written on our hearts that we know to be true, that we have these rights and that therefore duties follow, we come to see that we have a conscience. And so the first thing that we want to start doing, if we're going to be willing to obey God and his laws, is to start listening better to our conscience. Um, now, I tell a story often. I'll give a very shortened version of it. If you want to hear the whole thing, go listen to my mission-driven story on Shinichi Suzuki. There are other stories that I tell where I talk about people obeying their consciences, but his is especially poignant. The way that obedience to his conscience as a youth totally transformed and defined his life. Basically, he had told a lie about a typewriter he was using and it pricked him to the core and he couldn't live with himself. He just paced. He, he felt uncomfortable. He felt unhappy. He went to a bookstore. In this bookstore, he found Tolstoy's diary. He took it down from the shelf. He opened it and he read the words, to deceive oneself is worse than to deceive others. It pierced him to the core. He wanted from that moment forward to better obey his conscience. Tolstoy taught him in his diary that the voice of conscience is the voice of God. And he, he bought the book, he kept it always by his side, and he determined from that moment forward that he would always be a man of conscience, that any commitment he made to himself, he would always carry out, and that when his conscience told him to do something, he would do it. And these great men, you know, that I talk about, Schweitzer and Tolstoy and great women, <laughs> Dorothea Dix and Clara Barton, they consistently obey their consciences and make that a very high priority in their lives. Uh, we talk about this in the academy. I give you some tools and some, some suggestions. I'll read you a couple quotes um, from the academy that, that kind of have to do with this that are, that are really awesome. One, I just want to mention one, one student in the academy posted something about how she was learning more about how to obey her conscience and it was really changing her life. She, she gave an example of something in her home that she had started listening more carefully to what her conscience was telling her to do. And as she obeyed it, it began to work itself out for the first time and she'd been fighting against this thing for months. She said, as I've paid more attention to my conscience, I've been able to ask questions and find answers that a few months ago were probably there, but I overlooked them. It's amazing what a simple concept it is and how it seems like, I don't know, hard or difficult. We, we make things much harder than they need to be really. And so we can just listen to our consciences in that way. One thing that Viktor Frankl said at the beginning of his Mad Search for Meaning that I love, he talks about, we can't pursue happiness and success. They must ensue as an effect of our dedication to a cause greater than ourselves. And he goes on to say, happiness must happen and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. And what he, the very next sentence is his, um, suggestion, his advice for what to do to be more successful and happy. 
I want you to listen to your what your conscience commands you to do and go on to carry it out the best to the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think of it. Now, I just want to mention before I move on from conscience really quickly, something that Stephen Covey taught about the conscience. He talks about how we must educate our consciences, that we can deaden them or we can strengthen them that it's an active process that we go through with our own selves, with our um, own souls. And, and it works as we give heed to how it guides us. He, he gives a little example of how we learn things. Um, we learn through practicing, through learning again, and practicing on a higher level of, uh, of ability, like we do in sports. We educate our minds by practicing mental discipline, analyzing creative thought processes, problem solving, abstract thinking, um, learning to communicate clearly, persuasive and persuasively in both writing and speaking. Uh, he, and, and so he, he just gives this example of how we educate ourselves and train our minds. And then he says, the process of educating the conscience is not unlike the physical or mental processes of self-discipline. Learning, listening, committing, doing, listening again, recommitting, practicing, learning again, practicing again, and so on. So you're not going to be absolutely brilliant at it to begin with, but it is definitely a gift from God to you to guide your life by, and you can become very, very adept at listening to your conscience and knowing precisely what you're being asked to do by your conscience and then doing it and having the results. So we're going to be willing by using our reason to make moral judgments and acting on what we discern to be true. And we're going to hone our consciences by practicing listening to them and seeing how as we become more and more sensitive to our conscience, it guides us to know what to do. We're going to live the first two law, the first two principles of law one by engaging in regular and heartfelt prayer and by studying God's word so that we know what his commands are. We know what those laws are and those duties are that he's given us. In the mission-driven mom, of course, we seek for God's true principles so that we can implement them in our lives and know better how to obey those principles, really guide us in specific areas of our lives to know how to align our lives with truth. So we're going to be truth seekers, and that leads into especially law three, where we love truth. So this is a process that begins with just a willingness. We don't even have to know all the answers. We don't have to all know how and have great abilities. We just start. The last part of this process is to make amends, to admit when we've been wrong and start again. We can obey God by, by, you know, saying we're sorry for not obeying him and trying to do better admitting when we're wrong. This is a little, um, I just thought of this this morning because I've been reading The Princess and the Goblin with my children. If you've not read it, please head over and read it. So phenomenal. Um, 
And this is just one little part. It says, here I should like to remark for the sake of princes and princes and princesses in general, that it is a low and contemptible thing to refuse to confess a fault or even an error. If a true princess has done wrong, she is always uneasy until she has had an opportunity of throwing the wrongness away from her by saying, I did it and I wish I had not and I'm sorry for having done it. I loved that phrase, throwing off the wrongness you have done. You will be better able to listen to your conscience and to hear God's voice and better able to obey him if you are also willing to admit when you're wrong. You can't just always live the principles and hope to get wonderful results if you never are willing to make a course change when you need to, to make an apology to God, to yourself, to someone else, to show yourself some grace, to get to forgive others, and to forgive yourself, and to throw off the wrongness. Just get rid of it, just admit it, just throw it away by admitting that you were wrong, saying you're sorry, and moving on and letting yourself become a little bit better today. So I thought that was just a beautiful way to, um, to think about becoming a little bit more obedient. That is part of the process. I wanna just end with um, something from C.S. Lewis because this helps us remember that when we're struggling to put God's will above our own, he does always know best because this is something hard that God's asking you to do that I'm asking all of us to do, to be willing to put his will first, to be willing to put aside our own passions and desires and do what he's asking us to do. But if we remember what C.S. Lewis says, which I'm about to read to you, it will bring comfort in those moments when we think we know best and we don't understand why we're being asked to do something. This is what C.S. Lewis reminds us of. There is a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. He replied that as far as he could make out, God was, quote, the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. And I am afraid that is the sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's mind. Something that interferes, something that stops you having a good time. And we often do feel like doing it God's way is not going to be as fun. In reality, moral rules, God's laws, true principles are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or strain or a friction in the running of that machine. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural incl inclinations. When you are being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that because of course there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine but do not really work. Why? Because God created us. He knows what will make us happy. He knows the next steps we need to take. He knows what purifying we need to go through. It is the most courageous act in the world for us to sit down with ourselves and honestly admit Yes, I need to take better care of my body. I've not been doing that. Yes, 
I need to tell my spouse I'm sorry because I haven't been treating them with kindness and consideration. Yes, I need to forgive that person that hurt me when I was younger so I can move on. And to put God's will first in our lives, to listen to what our conscience is asking us to do, to throw off those things that we've done wrong and just get rid of them so that we can do more things right. So those are some thoughts about what it means to be willing to obey God and his laws. And always remember, always, always remember that God loved us first. He loves us still. He loves us always. And to him, we have infinite worth. So it's up to us to love him in return. And these three principles are the keys to demonstrating our love for him and those feelings of love toward God and gratitude for his laws will grow within us the more that we obey them. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please join us in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group for an after the podcast discussion for our morning, Lighting Our Lamps Morning Inspiration for Moms that happens every morning at 6.30 Pacific Time and 9.30 Eastern Time. And we have um, interviews going on in there. We have a great one. Um, we have great ones every, every Friday have had, we'll continue to have, I'm not sure for how many weeks, but you can see if you haven't seen some of the past ones, you can walk, go back and watch them in the Facebook group as well and ask questions of these incredible women and men that are teaching us to be more mission driven moms. Thank you so much for joining me today and I will see you next week.